The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. What, a, what an amazing thing that the Lord has done over the last 10 years. Happy birthday, Heritage, by the way. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, guys, we, we have a, a really special guest uh, with us here today. Um, not only would Heritage not exist if it wasn't for Jim Wright actually planting this church, but I wouldn't be in ministry if it wasn't for the fact that this guy, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, threw an arm around me at a massive church when nobody knew me and said, hey, come do some stuff with me. And his example of discipleship in my life and through many, many young men's lives throughout the year honestly has a lot to do with even what we're going to be talking about later today. So if you don't like it, you can blame Jim here in just a little while. Um, but man, I asked, I asked if Pastor Jim would come join us from Mountain this morning, just be with us here to celebrate 10 years and to just uh, share a quick you know, thought with you guys, but just open us in prayer for our service this morning. So can you guys give it up and welcome kind of our dad, Jim Wright. <laughs> Dangerous to give the pulpit to another pastor, Jeff, but uh, heritage, what an honor it is to, to be here and to be invited uh, to see the great work that God is doing in heritage in our community and Pastor Jeff, and, and uh, I am just so thankful, you know, Sam kind of nailed it at the end of his prayer, just saying it's grace. By the grace of God, we live and move and have our being. And it's such a great honor to be connected with such a Jesus-centered church in our community that's about the business of the kingdom. Because that's what we're about. We're just passing through. And I love that God has called us to be church planters and be about the business of making disciples. It says in Revelation uh, chapter 4, John the Revelator says that, that, Lord, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And that includes us. And the purpose of our life is to bring honor to Jesus Christ. And I can say from a distance that Heritage Christian Fellowship, the word on the street is that heritage brings honor to Jesus Christ. Mm, and that's God. what we're about. And so I'm really thankful once again to be connected to such an army of disciples of Jesus that are about the work of the kingdom and about the person of Jesus Christ because that is the purpose of our life. It's to honor him and the mission of our life is about making disciples. And Jeff, I'm really grateful that you have stayed your course. And you guys have a, an amazing pastor. He has stayed his course. Amen. You really do. Yeah, you do. You have an amazing pastor. A, a lot of pastors, they, they get sidetracked along the journey. And I've been around long enough to see that. But Jeff and the stellar staff here at, at Heritage Christian Fellowship has stayed their course and, 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 and like a, you know, like a sharpshooter have said, we're, we're keeping our, 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 our scope dialed in and we're staying focused on the person of Jesus, the purpose of our life and the mission of our life and making disciples. 
And that's evident. And so, Jeff, stay your course, man. Thanks, I'm man. really proud of you. Amen. And it's a great honor to, uh, to pray a blessing on you guys today. So let's, let's pause for just a moment and, and allow me the great honor and privilege of just praying a blessing on Heritage Christian Fellowship. Lord, by your grace, we live. It's by your grace that we have life at all. By your grace, Lord, we've been adopted into your family. And we are called your church. And by your grace, Lord, your body can bring honor to the head, which is Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fall upon this congregation, upon this pastor, upon this great staff. And continue, Lord, to empower them for the work of the ministry wherein we are all called. And I know, Lord, that your word is being taught with great integrity here. And I pray, Lord, that as we receive your word, Lord, we would recognize that the ministry isn't for the professionals. The ministry is the life of every disciple. And that this church, Lord, would be a salty church in our community, even more so. Creating a thirst in the highways and the byways of our city. A thirst, Lord, that only you can quench. I pray, Lord, that heritage would continue to be a light that is set upon a hill. Drawing in the cold, drawing in the lonely, drawing in the hungry, drawing in, Lord, the disenfranchised and and the thirsty, Lord, that this church would continue to be a city on a hill where there is laughter and dancing and refuge and plenty because Jesus is here. And so, Lord, would you continue the great work? I know you will, Lord, the, the great work that you have begun in us. And that from this church, other churches would continue to be planted. They would bring honor to the name of Jesus. They would glorify the Son. They would point to the Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend. And so, Lord, we just give you praise for who you are and what you've done. And, Lord, in expectation of what you will continue to do as we keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can you guys give it up for Jim again? So the crazy thing is Jim doesn't know this, but he just preached my sermon in that prayer. That's crazy. But, oh, well, we're here. So let's do that. I want you guys to do me a favor and grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. 
Um, We're going to step out of our normal walking through the book of Luke today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high. We'll make sure that you get one of these so that you can travel along with us. If you don't own a Bible, that is a gift to you. And we just pray that the Lord would use that to teach you more and more about him, about his love for you, his goodness, and his plan and will for your life. Acts chapter 1 is where we are this morning. So we're sort of stepping out of line with Luke, but Luke wrote this, so we're still in the neighborhood. We're in the ballpark, amen? Um, This is the second letter of Luke, if you will, or the continuation of the story that Luke compiles, the history of this man, Jesus Christ, and what he has done, and then the history of the fallout, or if you should say the effect of that as the Spirit of God comes upon the people of God and plants the church of God all over the place. And what we're going to do this morning, um, as we're reflecting about where we've been and what we're doing, we're going to consider kind of the early church and how it progressed and how the Lord might be doing the exact same thing. I believe with all conviction, he's doing the exact same thing here in our church here at Heritage. It's been an amazing 10 years, but in this last 10 years, God's done an amazing work, but, but I honestly feel, and the leadership, and we have been praying over these things. We've been thinking about the last 10 years, the next 10 years, because you know, these kind of anniversaries are sort of natural times of reflection, you know? And what we really believe with all our heart is in the last 10 years, God has built a race car here and now he wants to go to race. Amen. This is what God has called us to do. And we're excited about this stuff. So in thinking about where we want to go over the next 10 years and reflecting on the past 10 years, then we really want to go not just to the early days of heritage, but to the early days of the church in general. And so Acts chapter one is a natural place to start because I believe it's the beginning of the church. And in Acts chapter one, after Jesus has risen from the dead, and and by the way, I know we didn't cover this just yet this morning, but you guys do know Jesus has risen from the dead. Amen, church? Amen. He is alive. And these people just imagine like they're with him. They're there. And they've got so many questions. And what do we do now? I mean, Jesus, you're alive. Let's take over the world. Let's just show everybody who you are. But he had a real specific plan about how he wanted to go about getting that news out there. And so in Acts chapter one, um, we'll start in verse one because it's the first one. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's speaking of the book of Luke. Until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands. What commands? He'd given the great commission. He'd said to his followers, go therefore into all nations, baptizing men in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Make disciples throughout the earth, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the ends of the earth. It's the reason we're here is because of the faithfulness of the church historically to do that. Amen? And so he's teaching them that over and over. We see it four different times in all four of the the gospel accounts. And so here he is with them and he's risen. He gives them these commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, well, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. He just keeps bringing them back to this simple calling. They're like, what about this? What about this? He's like, hold on, hold on. Just hold on. This is your focus. But will the kingdom start now? Are you going to do this now? Hold on, hold on, hold on, guys. Come back. Remember what I told you? You're going to be my witnesses and you're going to carry this news throughout the earth. He keeps calling them back to this specific mission. And it says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And I know I've said this before. You've heard me say this a million times, but in case you're new, this is the official prophecy standpoint of Heritage Christian Fellowship. Jesus is gone. He's preparing a place for us. He has sent his spirit to empower us to be missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And until that day, I mean, imagine they're just like, man, he went. Is he come back now? Is he come back now? Is he come back now? They're just standing there. And I understand that's a pretty crazy thing to see. But these angels come up and they're like, what are you doing? He, he said, Go. So, um, go, (laughs) go, he's coming back, go and fulfill the mission that he has continually called you back to. And so first they go to Jerusalem because they were told to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And so verse 12 says, um, begins this story where they're in Jerusalem. They're now, they're down to 11. I don't know if you remember this. There's an empty seat on the bench right now with the apostles because there's this one guy that was a bad seed named Judas and he's kind of gone. So they go to replace him and they raise up this guy named Matthias for our purposes today. We're not going to go into that, but chapter two, by the way, that's the fastest we've ever covered a book of the Bible in the history of heritage. Amen. Right. We're going to get three more done before we finish here today. Verse one says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. All just happened to be there, right? In verse 6, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? And there's this list of all the different places they were from, and it didn't matter where they were from, didn't matter what their language was. All of these guys are speaking and they're hearing. Important, the thing I want you to catch, I want you to really notice this, is not where they're all from. I want you to notice what the people were saying. I want you to notice what they were hearing. Look at verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Well, at that point, what's the mighty works of God? In fact, throughout all history, what are the mighty works of God? They are preaching the gospel. They're telling people that Jesus died for their sins and has risen again from the grave, that he's ascended into heaven and that he's coming. And they're calling people to this. There's this gospel, the same thing we do today. Guys, we've been tied to this for thousands of years. This is the call of the church right here. And and notice, they're hearing everyone preach this. 
This isn't one church with one preacher, though Peter's going to step up, there's no doubt. But they're all preachers. They're all speaking it. And everyone's hearing it. And they're amazed. Verse 12, all were amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? But others were mocking as there always will be. Oh, they're filled with new wine. They're all drunks. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifts up his voice and addressed them. And so guys, here it is. This is the first church service. Now there's been synagogue gatherings, there's been temple gatherings, there's been all of these kind of things, but I don't believe we can call it the church the way Jesus and God has has designed the church because the Holy Spirit had not been given yet. But now here it is. The people of God, understanding the resurrection of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God, are gathered together and the gospel's being declared. This is the first church service. And then Peter stands up and we get, though I, I've said it even before, this is the first sermon, but really they've all been preaching already, but this is the first one we get to read. Let's say it that way. Peter stands up and begins to speak, which in years past would have been a cringe moment, right? Like he's talking, someone shut him up. Get John, get John up there. But Peter stands with the 11 and he lifts up his voice and he addressed them, men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. They're not drunk. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he points back to the Old Testament and he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then look what he does here. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Quick little side note to all of you who are to be preachers of the gospel. If you get anything right in your proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, always get this part right. He lives. He is alive. Paul will go on to say that if if Christ isn't risen and alive, then we are wasting our time in all of this. All of it hinges on the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. Jim, um, in the past, I think they would have said amen to something like that. I think they're they're just nervous because you're here or something like that. But just trust me, I'm leading a church to respond once in a while and they should have said amen. So we'll try that again. Um, He is alive. That's the gospel of Jesus. If you don't know anything else, you can tell people that. He lives and he preaches this and he goes on to talk about the Old Testament and he ties it into all these things that they had known for so long and he continues with this same message as he goes. Look at verse 32, skipping ahead. Therefore, 
being, or verse 32, there Jesus, this Jesus being God, see, I'm already perplexed. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father, the promise of the Holy spirit. He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you have crucified, he is the Lord and King and he is the Savior and friend of sinners. Know this everyone. He is the King and he rules and he has been exalted to the right hand, but he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting on, the one who can save us from ourselves. Thank you. My goodness. My goodness. Anyway, and their response, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children And for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself, let me remind you, church, Medford, Oregon's pretty far off from Israel. He's telling them, look, this is for you. And this is for your children. And this is for them too. This isn't something we just got and we're stoked about it. We are, but it's not something we just keep to ourselves. It's for us and it's for them. And what a gift. This power that they're seeing right there in person, it's for us. And then look what happens. He calls them to repentance. He's telling them who Jesus is, verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort. See, preachers have been using lots of words from the very, very beginning. And he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, Heritage, let me just tell you. Amen. I like it. When, when we started that first heritage service in Jewett Elementary School, I don't know, about a hundred people or so. I don't remember. One thing I realized as we were going through stuff, we did not take a lot of photos. We did not keep a lot of numbers or counts, which, you know, that, that's, you can get false information from those anyway, but it would have been nice to have documented some of that better. But I'm going to guess around a hundred people were gathered together over there at Jewett Elementary School, worshiping the Lord together. At this point, you know, there's highs and lows, summer dips, there's all kinds of seasons. But here at Heritage, from best we can tell, on an average Sunday, it could be anywhere from 600 on the lower end, even maybe 800 on the higher end. And even if you just look at overall attendance, just people who come, whether they're just coming once a month or whatever, we guess somewhere around 1,200 people, including children, would call Heritage home. And I'm not saying that to like gloat over numbers. Here's what I'm saying. We've had 10 years to deal with going from 100 to 1,200. And you would say, and it's took you all 10. I know, I know. It's been messy at times. It's been complicated. It's been hard. I mean, growth changes everything. I look at some of the old pictures of our church and I look at the congregation that's there and I'm like, I know every single person's name that was there. Um, And now that's not the case. Like when I stand here and look around this room, there's a sea of faces that I haven't gotten to know yet. And, and as a people person and people pleaser, that kind of, that plagues me. And there's a part of me that just goes, oh, the old days. 
And even along the way, I've had to learn to lead different. Our staff has had to learn to organize different. I assure you, I am the least organized guy in this room. That, that might work at 100 people. It doesn't work at 1,200 people. And so through the years, we've had to figure out how to do things. And sometimes it's been painful. One of the most painful things I've learned over the last 10 years is not everyone stays. I mean, some people are just wired for smaller churches. And as the Lord leads a church, you get people for a season. Sometimes you have them, and then sometimes you don't. And we just, we know people are worshiping Jesus. That's not so much the issue. But for people who are called to love the people of God, it's difficult when you go through that stuff. And so for 10 years, we've wrestled and tried to figure out how best to lead, to love, to organize, all of these kind of things. 10 years. Maybe in the next 10, we'll get there. They had like an hour and they went from 120 people to 3,000 people. Please just think about that for just a minute. 3,000 people. That is instant chaos. Imagine you're one of the 120 and you're calling people to repentance and then you're like, they're all coming. I wasn't expecting that. I don't know what to do. Like there's instant, how do we do this? What do we even do? How are we going to take care? We used to all fit in a room. Now what do we do now? But think of the joy. Can you imagine what that felt like? The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're speaking out and they can't even believe what's happening themselves. And then they're watching the living God work through them. And remember, they used to watch it happen through Jesus. And now they're going... Is this even going to work? I mean, I don't know if Jesus paid attention to us, but we ain't exactly the A team. And, and, and now this is going to happen through us, and I don't know if this is going to work, and it's kind of scary. And here we are in Jerusalem. The last time someone spoke up, by the way, Jesus, what happened to him? But as they stepped forward and the Spirit of God came upon them, they're watching these people come. Can you imagine the joy, the new life? The people coming and saying, I believe. What does that even mean now? Help me, teach me, what do I do? The excitement that would have taken place as they experience God move through them in a powerful way as they step out of their comfort zone to do things that on some levels might even be straight up dangerous, but as they watch God be faithful through them, what an amazing thing that would have taken place. And everyone was involved. Look at how it plays out. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You just see this activity, this involvement, this participation. This is not just some show someone went to or anything like that. There's this living change that has happened in these people because of the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus and because of the power of the Holy Spirit upon these people's lives. And there's this dynamic community that's happening in crazy ways. Like no one took care of each other the way these people are doing now. It's unbelievable what's actually taking place here. 
Now, as you go through the story, and we'll speed up a little bit right here. In chapter three, you have the story of the lame beggar. Uh, That's not lingo. Lame doesn't mean that he was a loser. It means he couldn't walk. And you know the story at the entrance of the temple, Peter's coming by and he's asking for money. He's asking for gold. And Peter's response to him, silver and gold have I none, but, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. Can you imagine? This is the guy who fell through the water because he chickened out when Jesus was calling him out. And now he's in front of the temple, like in front of the temple, like people all around. And he had the boldness, almost the audacity to say to a guy, stand up and walk. And he does, he gets up and it says in verse eight, as they went into the temple and leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And that would obviously, you might imagine, generate some attention. They all knew who this guy was. He's sitting at the entrance, probably there all the time. And a stir begins. And so what happens? We get sermon number two and Peter begins to speak some more and he starts teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he goes through basically the same kind of sermon. And the reason is there's only one sermon. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been doing over and over and over for 2000 years. If I sound redundant, trust me, I'm going to keep preaching that same gospel again for another 10 years because there's only one message. And so he's doing this and all these people are there. And so they come and arrest him. They grab Peter and they actually throw him into prison for this. But think about this. Think about what's happening here. Look at Acts 4 verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to about what? 5,000. So there's differences of opinion on this. Some say it was three, now it's grown to five. Others say the actual wording here is talking about a whole new five. So just because it sounds more impressive, let's roll with that this morning. So now what are our numbers up to? 120 plus 3,000, plus 5,000. I went to North Carolina public schools. Somebody help me on the math. 8,120 people in four chapters. I can't imagine what they were like. What do we even do? How do we do this? And this is before church planning starts happening in all these other places now. And the spirit is moving and the gospel's being preached and all these things are happening. It's unbelievable what happens And then in Acts 4, the rest of the chapters, it goes on. Peter gets brought in before, and you got to notice who they get brought to. Look at verse 5. On the next day, they're arrested. The rulers, elders, and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, notice these names, with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, who are of the high priestly family. I don't know if you know this or if you remember this. That's the people who tried Jesus. And so now Peter just after the death and resurrection of Jesus is brought before the same people. And what does he do? He preaches the gospel with a boldness and a ferocity and a simplicity. And like Jim said in that prayer, that focus, it preaches the same message over and over. He's preaching the gospel to the very guys who killed Jesus. And people are being saved. And it's crazy how God protected and preserved for the sake of mission. It's unbelievable because their response, take a look, first of all, it says, verse 12, Peter said, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were notice uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This was not the seminary five-star, all-star team. This was not the people you would look at as the who's who of Christian ministry. They're looking at them. They're like, these are just normal guys. 
but they're different because they've been with Jesus. And so like, what do we do with this? They end up coming to him and they're like, okay, so here's the deal. We're going to let you go. But our rule is don't preach the gospel anymore. To which Peter and the guys respond, well, I mean, you guys do what you got to do. We got to preach. So we're going to continue to do this. You can decide whether it's better for us to obey you or God, but we cannot but preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to do this and they get set free anyway. It's this unbelievable thing. In verse 23 of chapter four, so they get released. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of David, our father, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, who you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And this is their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch your hand out to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Think about what they're praying for. They're asking God for increased boldness to keep doing what they're doing no matter what opposition comes against them. It's not random boldness in case they ever need it. What they're saying is, we're going to keep going forward and may you make us bold as we do it. And look what happens. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I want to point out a couple things. First of all, can I just ask you to think about this for a minute? Don't you want that? Like when you read that text and you hear about the people of God gathered together and the power of God going on a place so that literally the building shook, don't you just go, oh, that would be amazing. Don't you read those texts about boldness to go and preach and to see people respond and get saved and go, man, I want that. And for many of you, Would you say that a lot of even your Christian experience is characterized most times by anything but that? For many people, that's true. But I want to point out three things about these guys that stand out to me right about, right off the the pages of this book. And they come up over and over and over and over as you go through them. Number one, these people loved Jesus. Like they loved loved Jesus. More than their lives, they loved Jesus. They knew who he was. They knew who they were. They knew what they had been saved from. They knew he's the king. They understood his value. They understood his majesty, but they understood his love and his grace. And they loved Jesus. Second thing about these people, they loved each other. These people loved each other. Look, it goes on in verse 32. Now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And then it even goes on to talk about people selling property to take care of one another and just crazy levels of the way that they loved on the people that are coming. I mean, stuff that would make no sense to us today. When we have 8,000 people that just came to Jesus, how, how, what are we going to do? How are we going to take care of these? And a guy over here is going, well, I got a field. I'll sell my field and let's use that money to help take care of some other people because some of them look like they're really in need. Yeah, let's do this. And they're just like loving on one another in a way that would have made no sense in that day and age. They loved one another. They loved Jesus, depended on him, leaned on his Holy Spirit like in, in unbelievable ways. Number two, they loved each other. And then number three, they loved everybody else. Because their prayers for boldness was so that they might go preach the gospel to the people out there that are dying without Jesus. They had Jesus' heart for the lost. And so when you read through the, the book of Acts, when you read through the epistles, these things come up over and over and over. This encouraged love for God, this encouraged love for one another, and this encouraged love for their unbelieving neighbors out there, that you would worship Jesus with zeal and passion, that you'd be led by his Holy Spirit as you go and serve him, that you would love and care for one another in amazing ways, ways that would confound the rest of the world so that you have opportunity to talk about why you're doing that and that you would do the same thing then for people out Outside the walls of the church, that in the same way that God showed us grace and mercy when we were apart from him and outside of his love, that we then as a church go and do the same thing for the world out there. So that when they say, why are you doing this? We say, because God first loved me and that's why I'm loving you. And those were the marks of the early church. This is what they did. Now the logistics of how they did it get complicated. Like, don't over-romanticize the experience of the early church. Some people do that. And they're like, we just need to go back to the early church where it was all simple and you just gather. No, it's not. Don't forget, Corinthians was written to the early church. Where he's like, hey, you're getting drunk during communion. What are you doing? Hey, someone's sleeping with their dad's wife. What is wrong with you? That is not something you want to romanticize about the early church. As you go through this in just two more chapters, there's going to be an argument about, hey, I know you're taking care of people, but some of these people are getting more than these people over here, and that's not fair. And so they have to start getting organized. Okay, so how do we do this? Uh, we have to be about prayer and the teaching of the word, so we can't do all of this. So I know, let's raise up other leaders from within the church. So let's raise up some deacons and get some other guys involved. And then those deacons have an amazing impact if you go on to read the story of Stephen, for example. And one of the things that stands out as you read through the book of Acts and you look at the church as it grew and as it developed, they're figuring things out as they go too. They didn't have the New Testament to go back to and go, so what do we do about raising elders? What are the things that we should look for? Like they're learning as they go, but they love Jesus. They love one another and they love the people outside the walls of their church so much that they would put their lives at stake and they would give their lives for that testimony to be able to continue preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ out there. Chaos? Yes. But imagine that. Like, I don't think that has to be foreign, church. Like, imagine that. They're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in ways many of us just dream about. Or honestly, if we're honest about our unbelief, most of us don't even believe is still possible today. But they love Jesus and they love each other and they love the people outside the walls of that church. 
So Heritage, what are we going to do for the next 10 years? Where do we want to go in the next 10 years? The last 10 years have been amazing. Where do we want to go in the next 10 years? I'll, I'll tell you. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to love each other. And we're going to love people outside this church. And we're going to do it with an emphasis and a degree that we've never even attempted before. Because we see it. We're going to lean on the Holy Spirit in ways that we have not yet even begun to scratch the surface because we feel called to it and we know that it's been promised. And I think we're going to experience the joy of loving Jesus, of loving each other, and loving people outside the walls of the church. I, I really believe that over the last 10 years, God has just been building this incredible foundation for us to do things in the next 10 years that don't even scratch the surface of what we've seen so far. I really believe this. I know this, church. I know this in my heart. We've gone from that tiny 100-people room at Jewett Elementary School, and for those of you that don't remember, man, that thing was rough. I remember me and a guy having to get an extension ladder, go over to that school while they were closed, climb up on top of the gym with tarps and cover the sunlight because it wasn't an air-conditioned room. And when I would preach, it would get so boiling hot in there, people literally would scoot their chairs around mid-sermon because the sun was moving through the room as the sun went. And we were like, that is just too hot. So we literally snuck on top of the school building and put tarps over top of the sunlights trying to deal with that. And it was, it was joyful and exciting, but it was tough. And then the Lord brought us here, graced us with this incredible partnership with Cascade that we've had for many years and looking to continue ex to extend by God's grace in the future. God's brought us to mission in Uganda. I mean, think about that. From 100 people in Medford, Oregon to making an impact in Uganda with Oasis of Hope there, that's crazy. He's, he's brought us to a renewed emphasis on gospel centrality. I remember years ago when the sanctuary went the other way. You guys remember that? Those of you that were here, all three of you that are still here, um, used to, this wasn't here. None of this was here. And as you saw in the picture, it was all green carpet because this used to be a, a, a soccer, indoor soccer stadium. And while they were building all this, they dropped this giant tarp down. It looked like a huge sheet of bubble wrap that just kind of came down. And so we went that way on a temporary stage that would creak every time I stepped anywhere. It, it was just crazy. But I remember being there against that wall right there preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember the sermon talking about this renewed emphasis that I felt like the Lord was pouring into me about the reality, the importance, and the centrality of the gospel. And we have been about that ever since, and we will be from this day forward. It's been amazing what the Lord's done there. He's brought us to brotherhood and partnership with Acts 29. Man, that has been so healthy for our church and so healthy for our leaders. The resources, the cooperation, the help, the encouragement, the training. He's brought us to an emphasis on mission. Like understanding that, hey, and we don't exist just to come here, but we exist to be a, an avenue to bless people throughout the world, to, especially in our community. He's even brought us through a season where, where he's brought us to covenant renewal or, or, or covenanting with one another formally, like understanding that like we want to covenant with one another and partner with one another through covenant membership, something we had never even had before. He's brought us through all these different steps. And I've had conversations in the past before where each of those steps they looked at as like a direction change because it was new. And I understand how you would feel that way, but I look back right now and I'm like, that was not a direction change. That was training. That was a process that God was bringing our church to. 
And I believe with all my heart, he's going to continue to do this moving forward. And I believe he has given Heritage a foundation and a base to do all this stuff. And so we, as on a leadership level, we have been wrestling with this for a year and a half. We have spent a year and a half talking about like, so what is our mission? What are we called to? Like, what is our focus here at Heritage? What is it that we're supposed to really do? Because a lot of things throughout the years, because we didn't really have necessarily a really intentional plan, things would just come our way and we'd kind of look at each other and go, I don't know, wanna? All right, let's do it. And we just kind of do that kind of stuff. But like this idea of like, no, 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 let, like, let's, let's go. Let's have a plan. What are we going to do? What is Heritage about? What has God called us to do? And honestly, the answer is pretty simple. It's the same thing we've been talking about. We are to love God, to love God, heritage, not just love hearing about him, but for that stuff on a Sunday morning to translate into a deep and real and passionate love for God, that we're to love one another. And I don't mean just say it because we all say it. I love you, brother. That's not what I mean. I mean, caring for one another, looking after one another, praying for one another, willing to step out of comfort zones for one another. We are to love one another and we are to love people outside the walls of this church. Because in this valley, there are 171,000, 171,000 people in this valley that if the world should end now, or if they should be in a car accident or whatever the case may be, 171,000 people would go to eternity without Jesus Christ. And that, that better matter to us because it matters to God. And this is what we've been called to do. In other, the word for this is discipleship. This is the Christian word for discipleship. Disciples of Jesus Christ love God, love one another, and love lost people. And they are on mission to do those three things to the best of their ability, empowered by the Spirit of God. That's what a disciple is. And we are going to be about this. We believe God has called us as a church to streamline and focus on this in the future of Heritage Christian Fellowship until the day he tarry or the day he send us in some other direction. But since that's the mission of the church from the beginning, I ain't ain't counting on that coming. That we are to make disciples of Jesus both here and there and we're to worship him with all of our heart. And let me tell you, this isn't a shift. This isn't a directional change. I want to show you guys something. Jim, you might remember this, but when I was still on staff there at Mountain, Jim took us um, and the staff and elders there at Mountain Christian Fellowship, we went on a retreat and we were at Brookings. And during this retreat, he would give us these questions and sent everybody off to find a place just to go sit by yourself and just consider these things in the word, consider them in prayer, and and just to kind of write things together. And then that night we kind of came together around this bonfire and we just talked about these things. One of the things that we were told to go and consider and think about was like, man, just where do you think the Lord is leading you? Like if you look five years down the road, what do you feel like God's doing in your life? I want to show you. These are from my notes written at that retreat at Brookings. This was probably... 11, 12 years ago before Heritage even existed. I'll be teaching, leading, and loving God's people, probably in Oregon. God's given me a passion for a place I once told Brown I would never go to. We'll talk about that some other time. We'll be going through the scripture, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and simply walking through life together. And I go, ask the Lord. Because I wouldn't change a word of that. Except I love Oregon more even now than I ever did. Like that's what the Lord's called us to do. 
And this is what we've been doing. And this is what we're going to continue doing. There was no name heritage. There was no idea for plant. This is just when the Lord was stirring. And I was thinking in those contexts. And then as I began to write more specifically about like, I knew the Lord was leading me to plant a church. Didn't know where. Didn't know what it was going to look like. But I was just writing down about like, man, and what are we going to be about? Let me show you this next thing that I wrote down. The church is a place of edification and refreshment before we go back out and be Christians in the world. Serving, little league, etc. Christianity is a lifestyle. Let me tell you what I, what I mean by that. It's, it's this idea, you know, we call our small groups huddle groups. And many of you have heard me say this over and over and over. But this really is the vision that the Lord gave me all the way back then on what heritage was to be about. And I'm a sports junkie, so he speaks to us. He comes to us where we are. You know what I mean, church? And so that's what he did. And and the idea is this. Basketball game. You're on a basketball floor. Huddles are important. Huddles are important. Every so often, the coach calls a timeout in the game, and he brings everybody together, and they huddle up. And during that time, there's intentional and purposeful and beneficial time for that whole team gathered together around that coach. He opens up the playbook. He talks about what they're doing wrong sometimes, or he encourages them on what they're doing right sometimes, depending on the season or the need. The players get a drink of water. They get to catch their breath. But in, in the end, the goal of that moment is to get on the same page, to understand what you're called to do, to put your hands in there in a moment and go, break, and then with renewed energy and with renewed clarity and with renewed understanding, as a team, they go out onto the court and the success of that team is not measured by how great the huddle is. The success of that team is measured by what happens out there. And that's what heritage is. This is a huddle. It's an important huddle. It is a God-given, God-commanded huddle. This is what we're doing. And we get together and we open up, if you will, the playbook. And we learn what our Lord has for us, what he wants for us, what he's directing us to do. We get refreshment from his word as we learn about his love and his grace and about how the things we're wrestling with when we come to church, he's got them covered no matter what. And he promises us good. And no matter how hard things are, if you fast forward all the way to the end, and if you haven't read it, I'm going to blow it for you. Spoiler alert. We win. We won. He won. Right? And so we're refreshed, and we're renewed, and we're invigorated, and we get on the same page. And we understand what God's calling us to. But if this was all, like, nobody buys tickets to just go watch a huddle at a basketball game. And the success of us to the mission of God is determined just as much or more by what happens outside the walls of this room on a Sunday morning than it is in that hour from, or hours from 8.30 to 12.30 on a Sunday. And we've got to be about that. We've got to have clarity on that. And we have to focus on this. And, and, and more than that, like this gathering right here, The things that happen here have to move from here to the living room and then from the living room to the neighborhood and the neighborhood to the community and the community to the state and the state to Africa, to Europe, to wherever the Lord may lead. But it's got to move from here to there. Do you guys have any idea how many times we have conversations with people throughout the years 
who experienced or grew up in families where faith happened on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night or on Sunday night if you're Southern Baptist or whatever the case happened to be, but the living room was just void of it. Not even like naturally opposed to it, like they were just heathens at home and Christians on Sunday, but there was no connect. The faith didn't bleed into that. And I don't care what people think. The reason our young people are walking away from their faith when they're going off to college and things like that is not because they're being out-taught by liberal professors. It's because they don't think the faith was ever something valuable enough to actually hold on to in the first place because they never saw it happen at home. And this is what we have to be. We want to move what happens in this huddle into the living room and then into the neighborhoods. And those are the things that actually, more than anything, determine the effectiveness, whether we're succeeding in the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. And so to do this, man, we have wrestled as a leadership over the last year and a half. Like, how do we do this better than ever? How do we really nail down and focus this? And we realize two things. Number one, we have to invest in the people of God. Like we've got to continue to want to teach the truth and get better at it, to teach the people of God how to read the word for themselves and to study and all these things. But at the same time, we have to actually free up the people of the church so that they can actually get outside of the sanctuary from time to time. So how do we focus on discipleship and training and ministry, yet free the people of God so that they can actually go and be Christians in their homes and Christians in community groups and Christians in their neighborhood out there? And man, that has been the focus of us all along to, to get the people of heritage. I'm going to, this is what I'm trying to do to you. You guys want to know? I'm going to let you in on the secret right here. We're trying to move you from a place where you just come and attend to a place where you realize that you belong, that you're part of something that like that early church, you're all preachers. You don't go to one. You are one. You don't go to a church. You are the church. And so, man, I'm telling you, this is my promise to you. In the years ahead, this is what we're going to do. The leadership, the pastors, the staff, myself, we have slaved over this for a year and a half. And we have prayed. We have wrestled with one another at times over it. But we have really felt like we need to make all of our emphasis and all of our energies go into that. To train and disciple the people of God, as well as free them up so that they can then go and be the people of God and not just come to a service. And so we're going to be pouring into that like we never have before. And some of that's going to involve shifts in terms of the how of what we're doing in the future, in the seasons ahead. But the heart and mission of all that is the same. The goal at Heritage Christian Fellowship is we are going to love Jesus, church. We are going to love one another. And we are going to love the people of God out there. You're like, okay, well, just get to it. Like, what are we going to shift? (laughs) Most of, most of its emphasis more than actual changes. Probably the biggest shift by far, the one thing that we are going to do, and this was the hardest thing that we wrestled with, you can't even imagine. But we've decided in the future, coming up this fall, we're going to move away from the second Wednesday night gathering. And we're going to go towards more emphasis on community groups, discipleship, and opportunities for training and things that no longer require that the people of the church lose one more night during the week in a season where just the world that we live in is constantly demanding and pulling on people left and right and causing us to end up in places where we may be the salt, but we're stuck in the shaker. And to, and to free people up to get out. Later, your kids are, when you go to lunch today and the kids are dumping salt all over the table, you're going to feel guilty if you tell them to stop. But anyway, 
but man, I, I grew up like Southern Baptist. Like we always had a midweek service. You're like, well, how, how is that? What about the kids? What about in-depth Bible training? Have no fear. Have no fear. Here's what we believe we're going to do. First, we are going to invest in more in-depth opportunities for Bible training in the years ahead, just like we have. They're just not going to be on an every Wednesday night thing because we don't want you to be in a place where you go, well, I would coach my son's little league team, but their practices are on Wednesday, and so I don't know how I can do that. So we're going to move those things out. We have already scheduled different retreat or retreats are going to be here at the hub most likely. But for example, September 7th and 8th, Todd Miles from Western Seminary, my theology professor from when I was at Western, is coming down and he's going to be doing a seminar with us here about the person and nature of Jesus. Like, who is he? Why is he so worthy of our worship? Why is he so worthy of being followed? And then how does that actually affect us? Not only our emotions uh, in terms of our emotions for him, but our emotions in following him after that. In October, Pastor Jeremy's going to do one focused on like guilt and shame. If you think about that, that's a big deal. Most people don't know what to do with it. Guilt and shame. And that's just the people in the church. Imagine out there. And so Jeremy's going to take some time with us for a couple days to talk about like, what does the Bible have to say to us? How does the gospel teach us to process and deal with? And how can we then go to others, not just within the church family, but the outside the church family with the equipment of the scriptures and empowered by the spirit of God to help them realize that they have been set free. In either November or January, my, my heart says November, the practical part of me says, man, that is a busy season. It may shift into January. In January, though, I'm going to do a workshop, but I'm going to do one just with the ladies of Heritage Christian Fellowship. Just an opportunity to say, man, we are going to empower the women of Heritage Christian Fellowship, and we're going to be spending some time together going, like, how do we just read the Bible? Like, how do you just read it? Not having all the stacks of everything and having to figure, like, because not everybody has, how do we just read and hear from God as we're reading the scriptures? We're talking with Harvey Turner already about bringing him up. If you guys remember, someone already returned it. I hope you returned it because you liked it. But uh, the book that I gave away last week, Friends with Sinners. Remember this idea of how you just naturally can evangelize people in your life because you just have relationships with them. He's the guy that wrote this. We're trying to get him to come up in March and do a workshop with us and talk about, man, how do we actually do that? I mean, I hear you say that this is something that can happen naturally in our lives. How does that actually work out? Doing all of those things in such a way that you're still receiving the amount of teaching and in-depth teaching that we've always provided, but in such a way that at the same time frees you up to be able to serve your family, to serve your community, to coach Little League, to be involved in the PTA, or to even raise your own family. Yeah, 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 but moms are here and they want to hear about their kids. That's true. That was the hardest part of it, honestly, because that program that Pastor Brent has built and the stuff that he's done with our children here is unbelievable. Pastor Brent might be the most valuable resource our church has been given in our past 10 years. And I mean that sincerely. He's amazing. Amen. He was over here somewhere. I don't know where he went, but... So Pastor Brent has already been working. Okay, first of all, a couple of things. First of all, how can we take those elements of what our kids were doing on Wednesday nights that they were so excited about, and how can we bring those things to bear on the Sunday morning gatherings when they're already here? In fact, even more of them are here. How can we do that? How can we take the leaders that we've had and say, and he's already, some of you know, because you've already met with him, and he, some of you, you're going to get a phone call, but calling you to say, hey, come help me. I have a job for you. Come help me. Let's do this. Number two, they're working with Pastor Sam on, hey, how can we do this within our community group? 
Like how can, instead of just doing programs while mom and dads are in the other room, how can we celebrate things like memory verse learning in the context of community? And so it'll be things like on Sunday mornings, your kids are going to be given Bible studies and, and memory verses and things like that. And then in the community groups outside of the church, you guys will be practicing and rewarding and doing things like that with the kids in community. The beautiful byproduct of that, it's not the professionals raising your kids, you're doing it. And even if you don't know how to do it, now you're in community with one another. You're learning as you do it. That's what we're supposed to do. And then the last thing is, you guys know, our Heritage Milestone program, man, we've not even scratched the surface of what a blessing that thing is. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but just last week, or was it the week before? I forget. Um, but Pastor Brent got asked to do a video, like, what do you call that? Vodcast or video call, Skype type thing, whatever it is. Video meeting with Acts 29 pastors from the U.S. West. So if anywhere from I guess Mexico all the way to Alaska, he was on this video call training these other pastors how to develop their own milestone program and how to encourage family discipleship within their churches. It's just what an opportunity that is, right? So proud of what what that thing's become. But he's already got plans on expanding that in two different ways. One, how can we incorporate gospel community or what we call huddle groups here into that so that you're celebrating these things together, those of you that have kids in your groups, but also... You know what kids need more than different programs or camps or any of those kind of things, as great as all those things are? What they need more than anything is a mom and dad that love one another and love Jesus. So how can we take that milestone program and develop kind of a marriage component to that so that we're doing more and more intentional training to help you guys walk through things that are difficult in your marriage so that you can disciple your children from a great and healthy gospel place? And that's just the beginning. We're going to be working on that like crazy through it. And then the third thing that we're looking at doing is just investing in our community groups to make them better than we ever have. Um, some of you, you were in huddle groups years ago. It was like the wild west of huddle group days. Like anything goes, no rules. And we had groups that had 50, 60 people with kids running around. And we had other groups with three people that prayed the whole time. It was just kind of all over the place, all this kind of stuff. So some of you may be like, really, that's your answer? Huddle groups, I remember them, they're terrible. No, hang with me on this. Here's what we're gonna do. The role of the staff over the next three years or whatever, we're going to shift our staff. And I believe this is because the Bible tells us to. From a mentality where the staff and the pastors and the professionals do ministry to where we raise ministers. That's going to be our goal. So our focus is on leadership development. We are investing in huddle groups more than ever. We're, we're, we've raised budget and provided budget money for huddle groups to, to if they want to hire babysitters as well as lists of like approved people so that mom and dad can have like 20 minutes of Bible study time if that's all you get or whatever that might be. We're looking at resourcing huddle groups with everything from, hey, here's stuff you can do with your kids, but also really training them. So for example, Pastor Jeremy, who does a lot of the counseling here at our church, instead of him who currently has meeting after meeting after meeting, meeting after meeting with all these couples and all these people that are struggling through things, instead of having one guy that everybody goes to, his, uh, his emphasis would then shift towards how can I now teach huddle leaders or all the leaders in our church how to do all of these things so we could have a hundred Jeremy's at our church if the Lord should will. That's actually what the Bible teaches us to do in Ephesians, that we are to equip the church or the body for the work of the ministry. And so we are focusing more than ever on leadership development. I've been, I've been working with a group actually for the last year, um, a leadership cohort that I put together, 10 guys from this church that once a month, they come to my house at six o'clock at night and they're there till 10 and we cook a great meal and we sit in the living room and we just dig, we just dig. 
We talk about our own health. We talk about family health. We talk about discipleship, community, mission, doctrine, the gospel. We take in teachings from all these different people. We're in the word. It's been such a fruitful time. In December, that will end, and I'll have another group. I'll be coming for some of you guys. I'm going to have another group starting January 1. The, the goal being 10 years from now, when we have our 20-year anniversary celebration, there's going to be 100 guys in this congregation that have sat in my living room for hours and hours on end and just studied. And we're going to commission these guys to, to raise up, to lead huddle groups, to lead community outings, to just serve, to do these very things by the power of God. We believe this is what we have been called, because church, hear me, it has to move out of a room or a program into the living room. It has to do that. And then it has to move from the living room into the neighborhood. If it doesn't do that, not only are we not going to experience actual success at what God's called us to do, we miss the joy. People go, oh man, I'd love to see the Holy Spirit mood. I'd, I'd love to be like in that room where the room was shaken by the power of the Spirit. I believe you can. But it's not just for our experience to sit back and go, ooh, that was cool. But you, you look, read the book of Acts and you'll notice some things. One of the things you'll notice, almost everything that happened happened out there. And the second thing you'll notice is even those prayers for boldness, they were all prayers that they might be empowered to go, to do, not just gathered together for a meeting's sake. And church, I'm telling you as your pastor, like I am not merely content to 10 years from now looking at maybe a numerically larger version of what we already have and saying, that's good enough for me, that's a win. I want to see you guys have the same kind of awe that these people had in the scriptures where they're like, I can't believe, you won't believe what the Lord did. And to do that, we have to get out there more. And we have to be more intentional about being raised up here. I, I heard even already a, an, an amazing story of, of kind of success for this. Um, Pastor Brent, I was talking to him when we had finally kind of the board had, had said, is this really what we believe the Lord's telling us to do? And after a, literally a year and a half wrestling with that, we're just like, man, this isn't, this isn't a strategy issue anymore. This is an obedience issue. This is what God is telling heritage to do. We have to. And so I was talking with Brent and I was like, man, if you're not here till 10 o'clock at night on a Wednesday night, cleaning up like you are every single week, what are you going to do with that time? And instantly without hesitation, he goes, I'm coaching little league. And I was like, uh, you've been wanting to do that for a while. Haven't you? He's like, I got boys. And so now I, I might can actually do that. You know, it's amazing. Brent's actually coaching Little League right now. And he told me yesterday, we were chatting. He said, yeah, you know what? It turns out that they gave me an assistant coach there on the team. Some guy he doesn't do. He's just doing like the Little Giants program that's out there. He's like, I don't know him. I would have never met him if I'm not coaching Little League. And he opens up to me. He's like, yeah, my wife has brain cancer. And he's struggling. And he's like, so I'm setting up lunch with him now. I'm gonna spend some time with this guy. Don't know if he knows the Lord or not, but I gotta go talk to him. And like that conversation doesn't happen if you don't go there. Like that's what has to happen. But in going there, you get to experience, man, God moving and working. And you can see the very ground being shaken by the Holy Spirit of God. But to do that, church, this is what we have to be about. Hear me, church. And Sam, you and the guys, I think you're going to lead us in a song here at the end, right? So you guys can come on up. But here's what we have to be about. Heritage, please let me encourage you. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. 
Study his word, not just here on Sunday. Move it to the living room. And so tomorrow morning be in his word. Tuesday night be in his word. Like study and bring this Sunday morning experience out of just something you go attend. Know and love Jesus. Number two, heritage, are you listening? Amen. Love one another. Love one another. And we want to see our goal is to see 85% of our Sunday church attendance involved in community. Uh, Right now, as best as we can tell, about 40% of our Sunday attendance is involved in community. And I should clarify, by the way, some of you have community that doesn't have the name huddle formally attached to it. If you have gospel community there in your life, man, praise God. Most people don't. But if you have that, praise God. Our goal is not about so much numerical attendance on a Sunday, but to get 85% of our Sunday attendants into community where they can love and serve and care for one another. And then where together you can learn how to learn, serve, and care on the lost that are out there, where you can learn how to throw barbecues for the lost and invite them in, where we can encourage people to just know and learn who Jesus is. And the last, as I said, I want you to love your neighbors out there. Guys, I don't know if you know, actually I know some of you know this because you've been telling me this. Like to some of you, some of this is new. To some of you, it's sort of resonating to some degree or another because you know this. Listen, God's doing something right now. He is. He's been stirring for a little while. I have had conversations with several of you in the last several weeks even where conversations have come and people have come up over a sermon or something like that and they're just like, man, like something's up. The Lord's moving I just, I feel this. I talked to someone just this week who has a house that sits on this hill and kind of overlooks the valley. And they were, I'm just sitting there like, this is the most incredible view I've ever seen in my life. This is so beautiful. Um, and the, the, the wife there at this home was just like, I want to move. I was like, why? Why would you ever move from this? And she said, because God has put this thing on me. And at night I look over this valley and I see how many people out there, I just think about how many don't know Jesus. And if they were to die, they're going to die apart. And it's almost too much to bear. Like the Lord is stirring something in this church. So love your neighbor, love Jesus, love each other and love your neighbors outside. Have them into your living rooms, have them over for barbecue, have them or just be salt and light for the people of this valley. And then I'll add this fourth thing too, and then we'll be done. Because I think as you do this, this will be a natural byproduct, especially if you're praying for it, but Church, I want you and I want us to experience the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives in a way that you haven't ever experienced before. Or maybe it's something you did in the past, but you've grown stale. But to know what it's like to feel the living God moving you through the community as he spreads his word and his gospel. I want church for you, like our desire for you, I I shouldn't say I, this is the leadership's desire for you is that, that church isn't something you go to. It's not, it's who you are and your spirituality is not measured by how many times during a week you walk through the doors of a building. Your spirituality is measured simply by, do you love Jesus? Do you love God's people? And do you have his heart for the lost outside the walls? And I'm excited I'm nervous. I don't know what it's going to look like, man. This is just, I, I, when the Lord starts to stir and I'm telling you, man, he is stirring. So I'm nervous. Like, Oh, what's going to happen? But man, I know, I know this. We know this. God is crafting something special 
for Heritage Christian Fellowship. And we are calling you to be a part of this and to pray, to be patient through the changes that happen from time to time. That's just the last 10 years is not the end of those. It happens as we grow. But man, Lord, may we love Jesus. May we love God's people. And may we love those outside the church walls. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Will you guys do me a favor? Sam's gonna lead us in one last song, but I'm gonna ask you guys to stand and let's just pray for what the Lord's doing in this church and in this valley and in Jim's church and in other churches all over the place. Let's just pray that God's kingdom would continue to advance as he promises and let's pray for the promise of that last day when we get to be with him in glory and see him face to face. Will you join me? Father, I ask God, that you would just empower right now, Lord. May your spirit move and shake this very room now. May the people of God be anointed by your spirit now. May our love for you grow. May you awaken new affections, some that have been asleep and some that have never been realized, Lord, but may our love for you grow. May you speak to us through your scripture in such a way that it's as if you're jumping off the pages as we read. Lord, may the people of Heritage love one another. Lord, give us the love for one another that you have given to us as your word commands us to do. Lord, teach us how we can care for one another, step outside of comfort zones, minister to one another, throw an arm around one another, help one another, and to not look only upon ourselves, but to esteem others as greater than ourselves. Following your example, Jesus. And then, Lord... Just been given us such an increasing burden for the lost. 171,000 people right here around us that don't know you, Jesus. Will you grant us favor in their eyes? Lord, would you give us opportunity to speak your gospel and empower us to do it? May you bring us into relationship with those that need you. May you be stirring up the lost right now, no matter what they're doing. The last thing in their minds is that their mind would be on you. But Lord, may you stir them to know that they need you. Because that's what you did with us. Your word tells us that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That we were not pursuing you, you were pursuing us that you died for us for the foundations of the world and called us to your own. You adopted us into your family. You have saved us and you have loved us. Now, Lord, may we be that example to the world out there. And Father, may we experience your presence and your spirit in this church as we go. So Father, right now as we worship, Lord, may you be exalted, may you be lifted up, may you infuse your people with joy, the kind of joy that we see in the book of Acts, and may this carry on outside of just the sanctuary, but into the living room, and then into our neighborhoods. God, may you use Heritage Christian Fellowship, and may you use the people, may we realize it's the people that you're going to use, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's sing.